Have you ever wanted to discover what's missing in your life? Metaphysics is available to all and is part of your life even if you don't know it. Welcome to Metaphysics, a view through the veil with Barb Crowley. Together we'll explore the mysteries behind metaphysics and how to use it to have a deeper understanding and advantage in life. And now here's your host, Barb Crowley. Hi, this is Barb Crowley, and welcome to Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil. Today we're going to talk about UFOs. When I started into this, I have to admit that I thought I was just going to talk about UFOs. I did not realize how huge this field is. And um, I am so happy to have Brent Rains with us. Brent is the author of Visitors from Hidden Realms, which he wrote in 2004, On the Edge of Reality, 2009, and John A. Keel, The Man, the Myths, and the Ongoing Mysteries, he just wrote in 2019. He's the editor of the online magazine Alternate Perceptions, apmagazine.info, and has been researching and investigating UFOs and other high, strange phenomena for 55 years going back to age 14. Reigns has spoken at conferences and workshops from coast to coast, has appeared three times on Coast to Coast AM radio and numerous other radio and podcast platforms. He has worked with the, with the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Foundation for research into extraterrestrial and extraordinary encounters contributed a chapter to their book, Beyond UFOs, which was published in 2018, and also worked with the UFO Contact Center International. Now, he's with us here to try and explain to me and my audience about UFOs and the expansive subject um, that really touches on that... um, well, I'm going to bring him in, make him do it. <laughs> Welcome so much to the show, Brent, and thank you for taking this subject on. It is huge. So let's start yes, I, uh, with the UFOs. There's been, in my mind, quite a bit of activity in 2017, 2015. And this year is the 25th anniversary of the Phoenix Lights, where there was a mass sighting over Arizona um, of many ships. I'm calling them ships that went over Arizona. And I'm probably am wrong in saying this, but allowed themselves to be seen. I kind of feel like it is in allowing us to perceive them. But um, you want to you want to start with telling me what you consider UFOs are? They're unidentified flying objects. Didn't you know that? <laughs> oh yeah, that was easy. No fair, no fair. <laughs> Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I, you know, when I, when I entered the field as, you know, at age 14 in 1967, I certainly thought that I knew what UFOs were in the, you know, the core unexplained aspect of it, you know, not the weather balloons and the temperature version of Venus on the horizon and, and that kind of stuff, the real unexplained cases. And, uh, and I thought they were what the mainstream of ufology has been saying for a long time, that they were simply nuts and bolts, extraterrestrial craft. And at some points, they malfunction and leave um, wreckage, and the Air Force and other various uh, military or government agencies throughout the world probably have, you know, uh, taken these things into possession and have the secret that we don't don't have. But... As I got deeper into it, I realized that, well, there are different alternative options, that this is a a far more complex uh, and at times confusing phenomenon than than, um, I originally thought. And so anyway, uh, yeah, the Phoenix Lights was something that was seen by uh, so many people. It's undeniable as to, you know, the fact that they that something there existed. Uh, there was and it was photographed. People. It was photographed and, by so many that it couldn't be denied at that point or talked no, away. Yeah. 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 It, you know, it, uh, because it, it uh, what remained was um, the controversy of what were they? Uh, mm-hmm. They were, there was ET, there was uh, flares, there were military, secret military 
uh, maneuvers or, or something going on that, uh, you know. Everybody uh, wanted to go somewhere with the logical explanation, <laughs> right, right, right? With that? As, as, yeah. as we all do. Really. Yeah, I know. Uh, Our mind has to explain <laughs> this. Yeah. So anyway, um, I kind of cruised along for, I think, close to close to two years with, you know, the ET thing is my my predominant uh, focus. And uh, then in 1969, uh, meanwhile, I had been I had become so addicted to trying to study the UFO phenomena, I would, you know, get uh, I would exchange correspondence with various prominent researchers in the field. I would even uh, use the operator when I was reading books and magazines to reach out to people across the United States. Um, using an operator to uh, call, okay, uh, Los Angeles, California. I'm looking for a, a Joe Davis or somebody, you know, and do you have a phone number and address? And yeah. if it was address, that was all the better because then I could write to him, you know, and and and, uh, and not make a phone call because my father was a little upset with me running up the phone bill. Oh, you know? yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but so I was, I was into the grassroots, and I, I started my own little mimeograph newsletter about 1969 called uh, Scientific Sauceritis Review. And uh, I started writing for a, uh, a little newsletter down in uh, St. Petersburg, Florida, that had a lot of uh, distribution called uh, Saucer Scoop. And uh, I, I enjoyed their, their, their magazine and because they, they covered all kinds of things, UFO sightings, uh, contacts, and some of the stranger stuff. And one of uh, their contributors was a guy I had been noticing for a while uh, because he was uh, describing how he went out in the field and investigated the most unusual cases and was coming up with the idea kind of a kind of into quantum physics, uh, studying the physics of it, the uh, the cases where people had contact with beings, missing time, things that weren't, uh, the mainstream wasn't talking that much about it at, at the time. And, and uh, he was really digging deep into it, and he was writing some of his articles for this magazine, and always included his address in New York City. Mm-hmm. So I... Uh, and that's John I, Keel? And that was John Keel, yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. that that uh, that journalist had a lot of uh, influence uh, on me. Uh, in October of '69, I actually began corresponding with him, and he had a uh, a newsletter that would come out non schedule, but he would have clippings and articles that he wrote, and some other people that uh, had contributed, you know, articles or he thought they were noteworthy. So I would exchange my little newsletter for his, mm-hmm. and um, and it got to where at one time he wrote me a three-page letter, you know, which I was delighted to. Uh, with uh, I've still got all his correspondence tucked away uh, in a folder in the next room. Right. Um, so. I never intended to write a book on John Keel, but uh, as things progressed and he passed away in 2009, and, uh, you know, I just thought that uh, it was about time somebody... Well, he was uh, very influential with a lot of people that researched into the, not only UFO, but the parapsychology field, because he branched, seemed like he branched out into that field as well. So, um, you know, when I, when I've read the forward in your book and, and the number of people that he really impacted, number of researchers that uh, he really impacted, it was pretty amazing. Yeah, it's, it's a huge, um, huge story really and it's mm-hmm. it's hard to uh you know um pull it all together here um the book it, is, it is it um, is that we we talked a little <laughs> bit before we came on the radio yes, how are yes, we going to handle this 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 field as i said i'm a newbie so i came on here thinking well let's talk about ufos and as i you know brent had sent me some information and as i started to look into it it is huge, an absolute huge field. And uh, we talked before we got on on how are we going to handle this interview? There's so much information. We don't want to go get, 
lost in a rabbit hole, but we also want to get into the information. One of the things that is fascinating to me, so the UFO phenomena of seeing spaceships is one thing, but also how does this go into, and John Keel talks about it, and you do in your book about him, of how it goes into the um, the psychic realm of um, how are the, Somebody who has seen a UFO or maybe an abductee or somebody who is about to see a UFO starts having psychic um, experiences. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, he had uh, noticed the the psychic element um, with a lot of the experiences. They were um, either naturally psychic and would see these things, and and a lot of them were repeaters. And early on, um, you know, researchers of the mainstream of ufology felt that, well, it's one thing to say that I saw a flying saucer. You know, that's that's what we look into. Uh, But when you say you had a sighting and then another sighting and another sighting, hold on now, that's that's just too much. You must be delusional or uh, you're just telling tall tales or... Or, why do they uh, like you, know, you specially? <laughs> yeah, why, why, why are you so special? Yeah. And Keel was, Keel was looking into that, you know. Why are these people so special? Because he felt they, after he met them, investigated them, researched them, that they did have credibility, that um, this was not uh, a fluke type thing. And uh, even now, I might interject that there are, are uh, medical doctors, two medical doctors I know of, who are looking into doing MRIs and other studies um, with their medical expertise on uh, people who are experiencers, who have UFO and psychic uh, type interactions going on uh, in their lives with these phenomena. And um, I've corresponded briefly with one of them. Uh, They're supposed to come out with a journal article peer reviewed uh, detailing their material. In 2018, they did talk at a Harvard university a medical school about their research and they've studied um over a hundred people uh who have experiences a lot of them are uh, they've looked you know in depth into their backgrounds everything a lot of them are, are military um security people uh, they have very responsible backgrounds are and they studying i'm sorry to interject are they studying ufo sightings or are they studying ufo and the parapsychology field or the psychic they're, field they're studying well actually uh one of them who initiated the study was uh was a christopher kit green who used to work with the cia Back in uh, December of 1972, he was asked uh, by the head of the CIA, Richard Helms, to go ahead and um, study what Stanford University, Stanford Research Institute, was uh, was doing in a parapsychology project that the government was helping to finance. And uh, they were studying Uri Geller and Ingo Swan and mm-hmm. Pat Price and other... And so he was supposed to kind of... Uh, monitor that, kind of be a handler uh, for the CIA. He operated what they they called the weird desk, and so he he that was his thing for uh, I think from seventy two to about nineteen eighty six. Mm-hmm. And originally he was quite skeptical uh, of um, of all of this, and I guess that's what they wanted was someone who could be very critical and, and uh, scientific. And uh, my so, guess is they were there themselves. <laughs> we'll study this, but we don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they wanted to make sure they weren't missing something you know, because the, sure. the Russians and the Chinese were doing parapsychological studies. And yeah. we didn't want to get. And this is, behind, a rem- you know? this is a remote viewing and uh, third eye spies. All of yeah, that. Remote viewing that group and, and uh, psychokinesis. Yeah. And um, what I. What I thought was interesting was that with with, with Green, uh, which this this is a whole show in itself, um, you know, he gets a call from Hal Puttoff, one of the physicists working on this project, one of the you know, who's still alive and and working in this field today, and uh, he's in Virginia, uh, and you know, of course, 
Hal Putoff is in California at SRI, along with Uri Geller, the Israeli psychic that uh, Andrea Puhart should, Puhart should brought to, uh, to America to be studied. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, the way I understand the conversation went is he calls uh, him up one day and uh, says, uh, Uri Geller says that he can, uh, he can kind of see things. Uh, you want to do a test with him? And anyway... Um, Dr. Green says, oh, I, I doubt that. He says, well, let's do a little experiment over the phone. So anyway, um, I had read that Uri Geller had uh, got on the phone with him and described some things in his office, and he was accurate. But uh, when I first made a post of that in my newsletter, Hal Potoff himself wrote to me, oh, Brent, it was even more spectacular than that. I never handed the phone to Uri Geller. I was trying to safeguard against uh, any kind of, un, you know, connection, slip up or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I kept him off the phone, and yes, it was very accurate. And then later on, um, uh, he was going to, uh, uh, Dr. Green was going to engage in another phone call with Uri Geller and uh, at his home. And he had these uh, notes or pictures, whatever he wanted Uri Geller to try mm-hmm. to tap into. Right. And before they could begin, Uri Geller started describing um, something in his house that was going on with a dog that was in, and something about some uh, something being knocked over or something. And uh he gets up and he goes to another room, and uh, unbeknownst to him, he had uh, a dog in the house that uh, knocked over. Um, oh, oh, well, I'd have to go back to the original report. But anyway, yeah, I'm dovetailed, sure yeah. dovetailed perfectly with what Uri Geller was telling him, and it was totally outside of what, you know, <laughs> he tried to prepare <laughs> for, for testing him. But he was, from that and the previous incident, he was quite impressed. You know, before we go on with this, um, I have to take a break and I want to take it here because I want to I want to ask some questions that will be longer. So uh, let's take a break right now and we'll be right back. We've been talking about the government involvement and we'll come back and talk some more about that. One thing's for certain. Life is uncertain. Do you navigate the unknowns? Visit aviewthroughtheveil.com to sign up for psychic readings and classes with Barb Crowley. You can schedule one-to-one sessions with Barb for personal and relationship counseling, pet communication, mediumship, career and business direction, or sign up for one of her classes. Everyone has answers through the metaphysical plane, but they need help to access them. Get the help you need today. Visit aviewthroughtheveil.com. You are listening to Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil with Barb Crowley. To reach the live show, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to aviewthroughtheveil at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, and this is Barb Crowley. Uh, welcome back to Metaphysics of You Through the Veil. We are back with Brent Rains, who is telling us, who has been studying the UFO field um, for ages for and knows it very well and is telling us about the actual broader aspect of it. When we left, we were talking about Yuri Geller and the government's um, work with what we now call remote viewing, but they were also involved in looking at UFOs. So we were talking about Yelly, uh, Yuri Geller when we left. So you want to visit with him a little bit? I don't want to get yeah. too caught in that because it, this field is so huge. I had no idea. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, a lot of people don't really. I mean, it's most know, of us think of this- it's seeing the spaceship and that's it. You know, yeah, a lot and, of this, a lot of what you know, a lot of these things, uh, they're a whole different fields. It's it's really a, a conglomerate of different fields all rolled into one. If you really dig into the big picture, um, now going back to uh, Dr. Green and Gary Geller, um, a few years later, Gary um, Geller was being studied his psychokinesis ability at a site 
uh, where nuclear scientists were working at uh, probably about 30 miles, I think, outside of from SRI, Stanford Research Institute. But he was still working uh, under, uh, you know, what, being watched by Dr. Green. And uh, he was working with all these scientists at this laboratory. And what they were really trying to find out was um, could he use, could psychokinesis be used to divert a missile or something, you know, how could we find a practical application, um, you know, with his, with such abilities. And some of the scientists were a little nervous because they thought, you know, we've got nuclear material here. If he, if he un accidentally, if he has this ability, he accidentally uh, psychokinetically manipulates it, you know, we could go boom. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, let's, not let anyway, <laughs> let's not let him play. But then, um, as they were doing their tests, um, the, some of the scientists were reporting having these unusual experiences, um, seeing an orb or a little miniature flying saucer flying through the air in their presence. Mm. Um, one, one of the scientists came in one morning and reported that he, he and his wife the night before had seen uh, some sort of um, like an arm with a hook on the end of it, floating uh, at the foot of their bed, um, and another. When you one say an arm, uh, what what do you mean? What is that? Like a human Give me arm. A, a human arm. Like now that's arm yeah. With okay. Like a hook on the end. Yeah. And God, <laughs> like that's pirate, terrifying. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and and there was even a report of um, uh, one of the scientists had seen. Um, like these dull, tall, dark, bird-like figures walking around his yard, I think. So mm-hmm. um, I would love to know more about that. Uh, but uh, those are the bits and pieces I've gathered from different sources. And um, and then they were doing, they were videotaping some sort of experiment that Geller was doing. And uh, the camera picked up like an illumination on a wall. And then they picked up these weird voices. They couldn't make out what was what was being said. So Green came in, listened to the audio, and was startled because he heard the the name of a top secret project that the mm-hmm. CIA had that was not supposed to be. Uh, he knew that the people there, the workers, had no knowledge of this, and. Uh, he claimed the, he heard that. And also two of the workers, I'm not sure if they ever did resign or not, but they threatened to resign because they were getting really weirded out. And um, as I understand, I understand they were, that. <laughs> as I understand. They yeah. Were and even on the verge of, you know, while they were telling their story, crying, you know, <laughs> right, they were really right. fearful, you know, because they did not understand what the heck is going on here. And I thought it was when I when I read this. I thought it was very interesting because there was a, a UFO researcher in Ohio named Earl Neff, who back in the 50s founded a project called the Cleveland Ufology Project. And I, I got to meet him uh, back in 75. He was he was undergoing, you know, he was one of those nuts and bolts UFO people from the mainstream who denied a lot of the contact stories. And then when I met him a few years later in Ohio, uh, he was telling me that uh, he was having a lot of high strange things happening. And he also met Uri Geller. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then... Did know, he Uri blame Geller, it on Uri Geller? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. well he, he was an amateur <laughs> magician, he said, and he knows how the tricks are, are performed, magic tricks. And he said that Uri Geller did things that he couldn't explain. He saw him yeah. metal, you know. So he was really a skeptic. That was kind of was, uh, getting blown skeptic. out of his skeptic abilities, yeah, really. Yeah, he was. He was, he was one of those uh, nuts and bolts ET people. And uh, then he realized, oh, there's some other really weird stuff going on. And uh, he was experiencing some of it. And he, he told me he worked uh, years earlier with Elliot Ness. He says, and I'm not afraid of anything, but this stuff <laughs> really bothered me. And so yeah. anyway, he talked to a, uh, a popular Ohio radio show host who told him that uh, Uri Geller, after being at his radio station, he and a couple of other people were were uh, sitting having lunch, and outside the radio station, one of the tall antennas started to crumble, and oh. was just like it was disintegrating and falling to the ground. 
except it really didn't happen, but that's what they saw. And so Both when, of I, them. when I when he told me that, and then later reading about what happened with Early Geller at SRI and that nuclear laboratory, yeah. I thought, wow. So, and then what do you um, think is I, happening there, though? With what is what's going on? <laughs> well, um, all you can say is that that. Um, there's well, first, is Yuri Geller an alien, you know, <laughs> no. or is he have an energy field that that they can others? Yeah, this is what this is what Keel said. <clears throat> it was energy. It was about energy, not so much about just matter, but energy and matter interactions. Mm-hmm. And um, and there was um, oh gosh. Um, Years ago, uh, Carl Jung, a the late great Swiss psychologist who came up with terms like archetypes of the collective unconscious, and mm-hmm. he felt that UFOs were quite important. He had been misquoted once earlier in the 50s about what he thought about it and decided to write a book, his last book, in about 1959, Flying Saucers, A Modern Myth of Things Seen in the Skies. But he was puzzled by the fact that sometimes these things are tracked on radar. It's like they have... They're, they're psychological, but they're mental. So he had a term he called psychoid, and he thought maybe this applied. And after, after these incidents I just described, think about this. He said that he was at a, uh, at a seance one time, and there were four people he knew and respected. He felt that they were really sincere. They were, they were all startled, like, oh, look at this moon-shaped orb hovering over the abdomen of the, the, the medium. Mm-hmm. Uri Gell is looking at it, and he reports, I don't see a thing. You don't see a thing. How can you not see a thing? It's right yeah. there, you know, and, and try as they might, they couldn't get him to see what they were seeing. Now, Uri called that psychoid. It's like some kind of a, a link between psyche, a psychic, and, and matter, that the, sometimes it's not straightforward like we, we think it is. And he had an experience along with a lady colleague that when they were in Ravenna, uh, Italy years earlier, uh, they had uh, been at an ancient Roman site, a church, and they found this room with this unusual blue illumination. But that's not what he was thinking so much about at the time. There were these uh, great uh, artistic illustrations on glass of biblical scenes. And um, like Jesus walking on water and, and uh, mm-hmm. being baptized and, and so on. And and they spent uh, maybe half an hour looking at these and analyzing them. Yeah. And later on, he has a colleague return to Ravina to get pictures because, you know, he'd already told at a meeting since then about what he saw, thinking that this was just, you know, a very physical thing, but later found out this place didn't exist, at least not in this time period. And what he said place his colleague, didn't exist? And his, his colleague could never accept that, uh, you know, that they didn't see it, you know, that this was, uh, this, this can't be a psychic thing. You, know? this, you, mean, you mean they all saw it and then later found out that this did not this, exist this at all? Exist. I mean, maybe it existed at one time in history. Yeah, but maybe so, they were seeing the vibration of... So, uh, but something. to them, it was very real. He rem- he, you know, he, he'd look back on it and say, well, there was kind of a, this unusual blue illumination to the area, but never really thought that much about it. He was just so, just so focused on the, uh, the artwork, yeah. you know. Wow. And <clears throat> so. John Keel kind of tried to pull all of this together, and, and that's what you really focused on in your book, how, all the aspects yeah, because I was, you know, I had followed his path and wanted to uh, find out if this was really what he reported it to be. And I even spent uh, a lot of time, weeks, and one time almost the whole summer of 75, going around mm-hmm. from Maine to Florida, interviewing researchers and experiences and, and what they were, they were describing. And uh, so I, I spent a lot of my time and money trying to uh, uh, see if all of this was true, checked out, and trying to make sense of it. And uh, I don't know that I've been too successful at that, but, you know, it, uh, and, and so 
you know, my latest book, John Keel, The Man Missing Ongoing Mysteries, I, I just thought, well, to write another book, I'd already written two previous. Uh, I'm just going to come right out with uh, John Keel. Everybody thought I was going to do a biography. It was just going to be about his life. But no, I uh -huh. wanted to go into my own research and how I had been influenced and about other people who, uh, like uh, Rosemary Guiley, who wrote the uh, the forward and the I did forward, a, yeah. an interview, and she encouraged me. You know, she knew people who knew Keel, and so she expanded my uh, my uh, uh, list of people. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, there was this there's so many, and it's not just here in the United States. So this, I've heard from people in England, Brazil, Australia, uh, Germany, who have been you know quite quite uh, impressed with his work. Right. And, now, do you and, think, uh, I'm going back to UFOs for a minute here, do you think that people are like the blue room? You know, are they there or are people perceiving an energy and they're not really there? But then again, they're being picked up on radar. Yeah, well, Keel had a theory. And, uh, you know, at the end, he told me that's all I can say. It's a theory because I, I can't, can't prove it. Right. But the theory was, based on what he had heard and read and so on, was that, um, and experienced, was that uh, these things can be uh, like, um, he said the term came from, like, uh, the field of the occult, uh, transmutation or transmogrification, mm -hmm. where... I guess kind of like ectoplasm, where something is take allows something to take a physical form, but it's it's only temporary, and then it uh -huh. reverts back from from energy back to uh, some sort of matter. Yeah, and uh, so they can hold patient. it for a little bit. They can yeah. hold. So for a while, you can have a very impressive physical display, or you can have yeah. subjective sightings where it's it's totally a psychic visionary type thing. Uh, and, Who's uh, doing this, do you think, like the UFOs? Or if they are actually creating an image that's basically energy, energetic, and it's not because we're looking for a spacecraft like we have, like you can go up and touch it, it's right, metal, right. you know. And if it's not, if it's actually an energy that is um, like the Blue Room is, is has built to let you see what you believe you're seeing but who's doing it well that's that's the big question he he thought in terms of uh, all the legends of the centuries and, and of occult folklore religious encounters and things like even Fatima Portugal back in 1917 with the young kids who were visionaries mm -hmm. for the Virgin Mary and suddenly this spinning disc comes out of the sky seen by reportedly 70,000 people uh, yeah. in this little small community there in, in Portugal. And um, and then in recent years, from 68 to 70, uh, over in Zaiton, Egypt, outside of Cairo, Cairo, um, you know, where the pyramids are, <laughs> that, that uh, um, thousands of people, Christians and Muslims, seen and photographed, um, like the Virgin Mary and these huge doves who mm -hmm. could fly without, uh, apparently, uh, I read one account where they, they didn't even have to flap their wings, which Mothman supposedly did that also. Um, what are they? And, and they, they, they are conformed to this frame of reference, you know, and um, that at least loosely, that uh, conforms to a lot of our religious, spiritual, pagan, whatever belief systems that we have. Right. And uh, so it's really kind of, I think the idea of, of a psychoid experience is partly them and partly us, because they can read us, draw from us, and then it's whatever maybe conforms to our expectations or belief systems most that we can, it can be passed that way, but... You know you what? Know. I'm going to take a break right here. <laughs> okay. And when we come back, we're going to talk about who they are. So we'll be right back. One thing's for certain. Life is uncertain. Do you navigate the unknowns? Visit aviewthroughtheveil.com to sign up for psychic readings and classes with Barb Crowley. 
you can schedule one-to-one sessions with Barb for personal and relationship counseling, pet communication, mediumship, career and business direction, or sign up for one of her classes. Everyone has answers through the metaphysical plane, but they need help to access them. Get the help you need today. Visit aviewthroughtheveil.com. You are listening to Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil with Barb Crowley. To reach the live show, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to aviewthroughtheveil at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, this is Barb Crowley metaphysics of view through the veil and we're back with uh bren who has been talking to us about well we've been discussing the possibility that what we're seeing in let's say ufos and other things they're they're not a physical form as we know it that would go up and touch metal they can be an energy reflection and we were just discussing this part and we got into but who's doing it so i'm bringing brent back in to talk about who are they so welcome back brent the big question who are they (laughs) well that is the big question and uh, yeah um who knows (laughs) and are um, they out there is it is there any chance that we as a collective you know we're as a as collective human beings are creating an energy field because it seems like there's activity and then there, it's quiet for years, and then there's activity again. And um, so right now, let's say in our, uh, well, it started in 2015, 2017, then we've got a pandemic, 2020. Are we somehow collectively creating an energy field for this to happen? So now I'm going down a rabbit hole and I'm dragging you down with me. <laughs> uh, what do you think? Well, well I, I, you know, I, I so many thoughts going through my head at this point, but uh, I kind of think of a well-known researcher who's largely been forgotten now, uh, Harold Sherman, uh, who founded the ESP Research Associates out of Little Rock, Arkansas years ago. And he was a psychic and a dedicated researcher, formed this organization to study ESP. And I remember he used to say, like attracts like within the realm of mind. He used to have meditations and such and instructions on how people could, uh, to improve their lives and their health and, and, and their, their life, they could, uh, to get what they wanted, they could go into a meditative state. He described a progressive relaxation process and kind of a visualizing a, a, like a movie screen, in your third eye area. And, uh mm-hmm. And and I really kind of kind of took that to heart. I mean, I've had some amazing coincidences in my life that uh, have brought me to where I am and into contact with people that, uh, you know, when I look back at it, it's because I had this uh, focus uh, on what I wanted and what I wanted to do that somehow I kind of, it almost feels like you kind of manipulate the circumstances and uh, reality around you to some degree. Uh, of course, we all do it uh, to an extent. We all have our little yeah. bubbles and our little worlds. And we may not realize flying saucers, however. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the bigger the bigger question and uh, the bigger picture um, to say. And and you know, um, I, I think we mentioned the trickster earlier. Uh, the and you know, Keel idea of the ultra terrestrials was that they were potential tricksters. Mm-hmm. And and there's even some researchers, uh, Rosemary Galley, who wrote the forward in my book, was one who thought that the uh, the jinn of the Muslim tradition uh, were beings who were very similar to our modern uh, aliens and uh, had many of the same traits, and that they they were kind of like tricksters. And um, you know, uh, there's all kinds of in different uh, cultures and such the trickster element. But yet, some also talk about the tricksters as also kind of being teachers. You just have to kind of um, uh, kind of work with them and, and uh, develop some kind of a uh, a relationship, I guess you could say, 
Um, that's what shamans used to do. They realized that, oh, sometimes they <laughs> they play tricks. But, you know, yeah. uh, the fairies yeah. were notorious for playing tricks on people. The Native um, Americans, too, were pretty active with UFOs or they had an understanding. Yeah, I had uh, early on in my ufological wanderings, I, I actually visited uh, a gentleman um, who had uh, a... It was actually a, an Ohio contactee named Madeline Teagle who introduced me to a lot of interesting people in her state. But she also, uh, she was part Iroquois Indian, and she introduced me to a Sequanahawk uh, medicine man she said was very powerful who lived in, uh, in uh, Mahoney City, Pennsylvania at the time. And I met him and his wife, and I went down. I, I visited him twice. Uh, in fact, uh, one of those visits, the second one was um, my wife, uh, Joan, went with me. She's, she's got Cherokee ancestry. Mm -hmm. And um, actually, during that visit, he, uh, we had lunch with him. And then we went into his living room. And uh, he sat down across from us. And uh, he said, we're going to do a powwow. We had no idea what, what that was going to be about. But I, I felt very, very trancy at the time. He had told me a story about someone who uh, had visited his house once from Canada and uh, uh, a couple and, and the wife started uh, channeling a message in another language she didn't know. Mm. And uh, so I didn't know what was going on. I just remember feeling, you know, well, oh, this is really feels good. This should be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so anyway, um, you know, two days later, I'm going to say about two days later, we're up in Maine at my parents' home and we get talking about what we remembered from that. I, I think I was the one that brought it up and said, I really felt, uh, you know, he was smoking his pipe, by the way, which was supposed to be just native tobacco. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, what my <laughs> wife, well, what my wife uh, experienced, she said that she was looking uh, at the smoke and the smoke went out horizontal then came back together, then went vertical, out vertically, and then came back. It was forming a cross, and then back wow. out horizontal. And uh, and you didn't see that at then, all? No, I was sort of like, I guess with my eyes closed, just sort of drifting along. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so this was like uh, for her. Um, and then at the end of it, it was like, like the smoke formed a tunnel, and she was looking directly at... Uh, Chief Lightfoot. Mm -hmm. And at that point, it all ended. And uh, yeah. um, what did he want to get out of that, do you think? What did he want well, you to experience? Well, we went back and we, you know, later on, we, we visited uh, Madeline Teagle at her home over there in Cargo Falls, Ohio. And we told her about the experience. And she says, ah, that was his uh, balanced way. And uh, that's what he called. That's what she called it, balanced way, and said that he passed something on to you, Joan. Hmm. And uh, so, anyway, we were. Was last she different year, we after were, that? <laughs> oh well, she's. Um, Could you perceive anything? I would. She had some dreams of, of Chief Lightfoot later, uh -huh. and uh, I think that might have been all inspired from that uh, visit and all. Uh, last year, we were at a... Um, before, um, we, before we leave that, though, what was the American Indians' idea of UFOs? What did, you know, historically, um, what was their idea of UFOs or energy, or did they talk about it? Or well, is there any history about it? Some of them described visitors from the stars mm -hmm. and they also uh and not just native americans other cultures around the world too uh teaching them different things about how to uh plant foods how to so they assisted uh, yeah they they were yeah assistants even carl sagan felt that we were probably visited numerous times in the past by extraterrestrials and that these actually are the foundation of some of some of our you know 
belief mm-hmm. systems, early beliefs, beliefs uh, religious and so on. Do you think um, they're coming now to assist? We certainly could use assistance. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, maybe it's not all on strictly the physical level. Maybe it's some of its uh, remote control uh, devices. Maybe it's some of its unmanned. Maybe it's some of its, uh, that's a speculation. And mm-hmm. maybe some of it's at the psychic level. Even Keel did speculate in one article um, about how he was looking at some of the studies of parapsychologists and, and studying out-of-body experiences, and he thought maybe some of these lights in the sky we see are astral travelers, and maybe somebody way out there in space is actually visiting us um, astrally, <laughs> and but, uh, they take on various forms that, you know, perhaps to interact with us that... Uh, and he uh, talked about shape-shifting. He talked about shape-shifting. Yeah, I mean, they could... Uh, yeah, the you know, because lots of cultures talked about shape shifting. Maybe they can uh, adopt whatever appearance they want. There have been um, reports of people seeing beings who could shape shift uh, right before their eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one story from Sedona from uh, Tom Dongo uh, describing um, uh, someone who had seen uh, this uh, this being who. Uh, could shapeshift from a ball of light to a, a humanoid figure, you know. And there's been quite a number of those kind of cases. Even change size, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, be a little, a little dwarf person up to a, a regular sized person or something. Could and, they uh, hold it? I know now I'm going off the field a little bit, but how long could can they hold another uh, form or any idea? I mean. That's a good question. Nobody's, uh, I mean, we have these descriptions um, from minutes to uh, maybe even longer periods of time, but when the experiencer himself is in an altered state of consciousness, it's hard to tell sometimes between objective True. and subjective. Yeah, there's know? no time. Well, why I wanted to know is, are there aliens walking among us that look like us? I mean, can they shape shift to look like us or make us perceive them? as looking like us and are they well, walking um, among us do you think i haven't had any experience with that but um you know ingo swan who worked with uh, going back to stanford research institute back in the 70s mm-hmm. um he was a he was very psychic and he was very instrumental in setting up helping to set up the uh, remote viewing program and how they should do it and everything and uh he uh, claimed that he met a very strange woman in a grocery store over in California who he said was an alien. And he, he she had this strange aura and this strange appearance. Uh, you know, looked like she had this makeup and everything dressed to try to look like a, um, you know, a woman. A human, a woman yeah. Says, sure, you know, <laughs> a human woman. And uh, and I did an interview with Nancy Dutrochery, um, who is a... Uh, litigation lawyer, former litigation lawyer in New York, and she used to visit uh, uh, Ingo Swan at his his home there in New York City, and they would sit out on the, the porch there and watch people going by and trying to read their auras to see if, you know, yeah. if there were any aliens out there among <laughs> us. How'd they do? <laughs> and, uh, well, apparently... Uh, you know, nothing showed up, but they were they were trying. You know, they were right. they were looking. And um, this is a lot of our religions. Do you think are based on uh, UFOs or uh, you know aliens? Uh, yeah, you know the, the strangers among us, like in the Bible. You know the story mm-hmm. of uh, of um, you were told that. Uh, Beware for some of your you know, some strangers you meet may be angels or something you know messengers of God, right? And so a lot of uh, our belief systems have those kind of stories, and even the Men in Black. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it's all right to mention that too. Oh yeah, now do mention <laughs> yeah. everything. I, yeah, I want to um, say too in your John yeah. Keel book, it is not just a biography of John Keel. It right. he, you actually bring all of these subjects in, so it's a really um, fascinating overview of all of these subjects. So I wanted to get that in. Um, yeah, I, I try to uh, incorporate, you know. Um, all of the 
you know, the elements that Keel confronted back in his day, and then compare them to what other researchers have, you know, not just Come me, up with. but all that I could could interview and, and gather their their stories and, and their relationship with Keel and what how Keel interacting with Keel influenced them and, and, and maybe affected uh, their lives. And, mm-hmm. and uh, each one of those people is a whole show in itself, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but. Um, now the men in black, we actually only have a minute left. So men in black real quick. Men in black. Uh, <laughs> Keel told me that there was a, an Alan Greenfield who had researched uh, and he because Alan Greenfield at this point is not the only one, but this was back in, in the seventies. And he said that Alan Greenfield of Atlanta, Georgia was a researcher in, he was an initial ufologist. He got into studying the occult and so on. And he um, found there were all kinds of men in black stories uh, going back centuries in, in the occult field and, and witchcraft mm-hmm. and so on that uh, that factored, uh, you know, very similar to what people in the, the UFO field described visits from. And um, I was just told by uh, a gentleman uh, down here in Alabama, not far from where I live, who's a, a writer, he writes uh, fiction, but he's very, uh, very, very adept, a great writer. And he, when he was nine years old, he saw a flying saucer. So he's been interested in both not only the fiction, but you know the factual elements as well. He actually used to talk with Keel on the phone years ago, along with Whitley Strieber about the subject. And, uh, you know, he had a, uh, an unusual experience with what they call the old hag. You know uh, what, though? I want this experience, and I've got to tell our audience, if you want that experience, you have to come and buy the book. (laughs) (laughs) You have to come and buy Brent's book, because we are out of time, and I want to make sure that we get in here where they can get hold of you and where they can get hold of your book. Okay, well, my online magazine, uh, which comes out monthly on the first of each month, Alternate Perceptions, Mm-hmm. And the uh, link would be apmagazine.info. And uh, my books are on uh, Amazon. Uh, of course, the latest is John A. Keel, The Man, the Myth, and the Ongoing Mysteries. And then my previous books, uh, uh, Visitors from Hidden Realms, and uh, then On the Edge of Reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the Edge of Reality was pretty much uh, just a book of, of interviews uh, that I had done with different people uh, in the UFO field, uh, some Native American, and just a variety of different perspectives on on. And this John Keel book looks like it's really a, a compilation of all of the different um, things that you've learned, all the different phases of the energies that you've learned. I want to thank you for being on the show. It has been fascinating. We barely even scratched the surface. Um, and and honestly, you blew my head up. <laughs> so yeah. going, you know, all thing. of it. That <laughs> it, But it seems like it all comes down to energy. But are our eyes deceiving us, too? But we'll have to sit with that question. And thank you so much for being on the show. Have a great weekend. And um, we'll talk soon again. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Thanks. Sorry, sorry to cut you off like that, but I knew we were we were gonna, and they'll just cut us off on the show. It's like boom, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I don't want to uh, do that. I, I I was all these ideas. Okay, I need to say this, and it's that, and suddenly before I knew it, it was over. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, there's so much, and you know this uh, John Keel's book. It it really is such an overview of everything, the amount of information. And when I started to read it, I thought, oh, we're you know, I'm killed here. <laughs> this isn't an autobiography. This is really a, a compilation of the whole field. You know, I think you ought to rename the book. <laughs> but um, uh, it was great. I'm planning another one. Um, um, the Keelian Road Less Travel is what I've been thinking as a title. Yeah. And I thought I'd start at my very beginning, you know, how my journey began and Mm-hmm. More, but more, that would be an autobiography of you. Well, an autobiography. <laughs> yeah, it, would, it would start out like that. Yeah, it would be my mm-hmm. journey and what I perceive. But it would, of course, tell about 
Keel would certainly be a big part of it. Uh, but I'm, you know, I. You he know, seems Keely to be a big his... part of a lot of people's lives, and the whole concept of not standing in Arizona and looking up and saying, "Wow, look at this." He's really taken the whole field together, you know, connecting it together. And then you've, in writing about him, you've given an overview of that whole connection. That's what it looks like. This is huge. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you hadn't gotten to the part maybe in the book where after Keel passed, you know, I was like, oh, you know, this is terrible that he's passed. Couldn't, wouldn't it be great to reach out? And then and then uh, I was working with some people to get EVPs, and mm-hmm. we hear John Keel coming through the radio. Wow. And so I started interacting with this Keel, but was it the real Keel? Or what? Yeah. They seemed to know. This Keel seemed to know. Um, he seemed to know things that the real Keel knew. So the information was. was I read the part about Joe coming to visit him two years after he died and they hung out for hours. (laughs) Yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, yeah. If we'd had time, I'd have gotten into that too. (laughs) I know (laughs) that was it. It was huge. It was huge. But yeah, no, it's fascinating. I might have to come back to you and and do another one, if you don't mind. I'm putting you on a call list here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, it's it's amazing. And it is basically an energy. The whole alternative perceptions like your magazine energy Mm -hmm. field. And it's. you know, I'm thinking at the beginning of the series, I think I'm coming in and I'm going to talk about the flying saucers. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, I'm taking on the whole perception, our whole perception of reality, you know? And that was, yeah, that's it, the reality. I mean, I, I figured that if I had just continued the path I was on when I first got into it, you know, other ETs out there, I probably would have drifted on to something else, you know, mm-hmm. uh, at 14. It's finite. Yeah, it's finite. Yeah, and, and this is infinite. This and is this, not this finite. Is something that, this is something that just addresses all of your human questions and interests all wrapped right. up in one. That's where package. when I started yeah. reading that book, I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> all right. I've got uh, to jump off right now. But thank you so much. We will send you, um, you know, I mean, they do. You don't do much social media. You do your magazine, but you don't do Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. I, I've got Twitter, Twitter, but I've I've, I've not really utilized it that much. Mm-hmm. I recently posted a picture. Do you? Picture of my granddaughter on there, you know, and and uh, yeah. she had uh, some stuff she bought uh, from school and uh, had some dollar bills lined up on the on the front porch here, and I, I put a thing saying, uh, uh, "Alice, the the uh, business girl," you know, <laughs> like, yeah, you know, yeah, she's five years old, you know, <laughs> and just something cute, you know, to put on there, but I hadn't really... right. So you're not doing it as, I mean, it's all because I had to take it on, you know, as a, this is how people do it. I don't really go look, to be honest, (laughs) you know, um, but I have somebody who does it for me and, and we'll send out graphics and all this stuff. If you can post it on your magazine for your magazine followers and all of that to bring them to our, um, to our radio show and I'll give you the date. We'll do it before, you know, it's actually aired, you know, I'll give you the date and everything um... else. In each issue, we put we put you know news links, and uh-huh. we we'll take like radio shows. Myself, my co-host Greg Little do, and we'll you know put a link to uh, you know recent interviews that we've done. Right, good. And, uh, yeah, yeah, fabulous. So we'll get all that information to you, and then oh, um, again, yeah, you you did blow my mind. It was I thought I was coming into this nice little UFOs, the spacecrafts, who are they? When are they coming back? Why are they here? You know, all nice and neat and easy. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. That's, so, that's yeah. what I thought I was getting into years ago. <laughs> right. I know. And that is the thing I think we need to bring the world to. We're looking at an alternate reality. We're not looking at spaceships chips really. Yeah. Well that's uh, why we 
called the magazine Alternate Perceptions. Right. <laughs> I noticed that. And I noticed you're quite a bit of a writer in there. You say you edit it, but you write quite a bit of it, too. Which, you know, it looks fascinating. Yeah. I'm, but you know. I better jump off with this. Yeah. So I'm coming back to your magazine for sure. <laughs> and probably yeah. to you. Yeah. Um, thanks so much, Brent, and I'll talk to you Thank soon. Thank you, I appreciate it. It's, it's been enjoyable. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil. Please tune in for another edition with your host, Barb Crowley, next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Enjoy your upcoming weekend.